Job chapter, uh, chapter 2. And we've gone through, uh, really we've introduced most of the characters to this point. And we've just got a few more to, to mention, and then we're going to get into really the meat of Job. So Job chapter 2, and I'm going to read uh, beginning of verse 11. Uh, it says, When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize uh, him, and they began to weep aloud and tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads, and they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word because they saw how great his suffering was. So we're gonna, I'm going to really introduce just quickly them uh, and some ideas about them. Uh, much like the other things in Job, there's maybe more questions than answers. Um, so Eliphaz the Temanite, the Bible records a person named Teman, uh, who is uh, the grandson of Esau. He had a father named Eliphaz, interestingly enough, and that would be in the wrong order, so this couldn't be the same Eliphaz because he would be in the wrong order of a Teman. Uh, so uh, he lived in Idumea, which is in this area. Um, and if that's the Teman who became the Temanites, uh, then this would kind of disagree with kind of where we've placed Job already. We've kind of thought of Job as maybe more uh, contemporary with East, uh, or, or Jacob and, and Isaac because of his age, uh, but this would make him almost a contemporary more of Moses because Taman would have become a city or at least an area by that point in time. So that's uh, one thing. There's a, a, a similar note on Bildad the Shuhite. Uh, there is a person in the Bible named Shua, uh, and uh, he is the son of Abraham by Keturah. Uh, again, if if this is a, uh, a the person from which that he also lives in, uh, I think near Petra, maybe or somewhere down in in there. Uh, if that that's that city that's basically carved out of the side of the mountain. Um, and if that's that same person, then um, then again we're we're thinking about a little bit later, um, maybe a contemporary of uh, maybe a generation or two after Jacob and Esau. Um, again, it seems a little bit late. And so far, there's uh, the Naamathite. There is a place in the Bible called uh, Naamah or Naaman, and that is next to Judah. Uh, and it's much later, and it doesn't seem to be the right location because that's way, 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 way north. That's not even in the same area that we're talking about. So, um, so I want to reconcile that just briefly or give some possibilities to reconcile this. Uh, because we have operated under the premise that Job lived uh, because of his age, we know that he lived after God restores him. He lives how long? 140 years. 140 years. So, so if he was already considered an older man with a an adult family of 10 kids, we're, we're talking about someone in his 200s, and that's that's around Abraham and 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 even that's actually older than Abraham's father. So lived. Uh, so Abraham's father would lived about 205 years. So we'd be talking about at least 210 years. Uh, 
so if we're if we're trying to reconcile that, we have a couple of explanations. Um, uh, one explanation is that this was written later, and that someone kind of confused their histories. Um, that's one of the that's one of the things that makes this difficult. Uh, so some people just say, well, someone wrote this later, and and it was. Uh, what do they call that? Uh, historical fiction. But sometimes when you write and read historical fiction, all the details don't quite make sense um, and because people only are loosely connected with the details. Um, the other is possible that um, Job lives early. Let's say Job lives early when we've thought that he lived. Um, we've already seen that there are multiple cities by the same name, right? Uh, we saw that, um, I'm trying to think of um, the Sabaeans. We, we talked about two Sabaeans that lived in the same area, two groups of Sabaeans. There's actually a third. We didn't even mention him. And that's a, a relative of Abraham's is also named Sheba. So we actually have three groups of people named Sheba. So, so there were popular names. And we already saw that Eliphaz has, is a popular name. Uh, why isn't possibly Taman a name? Uh, another another idea is it might not be that Taman was uh, the 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 city Taman might not have been named after the person Taman, but the person Taman might have been named after a city that was already existing. There might have already been a group of Tamanites. Uh, if he appears a little bit later, uh, maybe maybe that's a possibility. Then then we have to figure out the age, right? Maybe just God gave him extra age. To, to consider the extra age, just to understand what kind of extra age God would be blessing him with will make it relatively modern. Okay, If, if, if uh, he lived at the time of Moses, for example, when Moses lived to be 120 years, and, and, uh, and he lives to about 210, this would be like, a person today living to 140 years old. <laughs> that's, that's unheard of. You know, that's, that's not just blessing somebody with long life. That's, like, that's supernatural. That's, that's way above. And it's not impossible for God to do that. Uh, just, just to understand, like the oldest living person, I think it was 122 in modern era. And that was uh, some French lady. Uh, that's, that's incredible. You know. Um, so... So that's that. It, it doesn't really change our book any. It's just an interesting note, um, I thought, before we get into uh, some of this. But there are, in this section that, that we've just read, I want to look at some of the, the, the details here, to me, that are important. Um, it says that they made an appointment. My guess is that Job's Job's docket was pretty empty. I don't think he had a lot going on. So what is the idea of them making an appointment? With whom and for what purpose are they making an appointment to go see Job? Okay, okay. they made an appointment with each other. Okay, okay. All right. So, so, so they're agreeing to go. Why do they have to make an agreement or an appointment with each other? To go together. Okay. Why do you think? They were okay, they're traveling from distances, and they might not even be in the same location. 
right? We've got a Taman and a Shuahite, and they're over vast distances themselves. I don't know how they knew each other. I don't know. I don't know how they knew Job. These all these questions. Um, but they uh, they made an appointment to go and travel. So what does that say about this particular situation? What do you surmise about Job's situation when you read about that? Is there can you draw any conclusions? Okay. Yeah, it was known. Okay, it was known. And it took I don't know, a couple of months for them to hear about a situation, for them to communicate with each other, and then to travel where it was. So this took a while. Right. To get, you know, to get to see where it was. So Joe had all this travail going on while they were making these appointments to see him. Yeah, we read this in a couple of verses, and we go, oh, he's a, oh, he's in the hospital. Let's go see him. That's kind of how we, we, we read it because of our culture, and it just took a long time. And what tells you in this story that this took a long time is another thing that tells you. Okay, so, so that they, they're sitting with him for seven days, but what's his condition when they come to him? They couldn't recognize him. Whatever period of time this is going on, it's completely disfigured him. I mean, aside from like he's been scraping himself and, and just the the horror of this uh, has left him a changed person, at least temporarily. Um, so, um, but I want to to go back to uh, the note that. This news travels, you know, if uh, I heard a comedian one time say, you, you want to be, be rich, you know, because if, if someone kills you and you're poor, you, you get a headline that says, man stains carpet, you know. Mm-hmm. You, no one cares about you. But, but if Jeff Bezos loses everything he has, man, that kind of news travels. I mean, everybody's interested in that, right? Wow. This is the Jeff Bezos of the East back then. This is the richest guy. This is the guy with thousands and thousands of this and that. Can you imagine what happened to this guy in whatever period of time this happened? And everybody is, I mean, this news spreads. I don't know how long it took to spread. This news spreads. So... um, What does it say about Job? This appointment, this these friends coming. What does it say about Job, uh, other than other than his wealth? He wasn't well known. Okay. But he meant to come this distance to okay. come commissary with him. Okay. So he's well known. We we established that he was. He's called the the, the the intro is that he was the greatest man in the land of the East. I mean that's. He is, he's the big cheese. Um, uh, but what does this tell us about maybe his character? What's going on here? Okay, why? Okay, that's, a lot of people will come from a distance to see something. You're driving on the highway, and all of a sudden you're like going five miles an hour. What's going on? And you get up there about an hour later and you find out there's an accident on the other side of the road. Right? All the rubbernecks. 
Well, everybody's interested. Um, but they didn't come to, to well, hey, did you hear about Job? Let's, uh, let's look at Job. I want, I've heard he looks pretty grotesque. Let's go see Job. Like the house of horrors, you know? That, that's not what's going on here. Um, they came to be with him. They, they, they made, they communicated back and forth, like he's talking about, and they're, uh, they're making these appointments, and this, you know, they're some type of compatriots of him, so they're some type of peer, which means they probably have their own large estates and wealth and things, and they're pretty important in whatever sphere they are in, and they come and make a plan to come together. So what does this say about um, their character? Okay, they're compassionate. They're loyal. Yeah, they have the means to travel, sure. Uh, we, I, I think we oftentimes, because of the conversations that are going to develop over a period of time, we tend to give these three men less credit than they deserve. Uh, I think uh, frequently that we, we look at their criticisms of Job and we think, they're, man, they're pretty harsh on this guy. Uh, they're excessive, They're not compassionate at all, you know. Um, but to they came, they didn't even, they, they said nothing. They just, I, I don't know if they just didn't know what to say or just thought, this is not the appropriate time. You know, uh, there's a degree of um, self-control, uh, compassion, um, and, and I think at least at the beginning, everything they do is coming from a good place. And, and I think that's good to maybe try to interpret all of this conversation as coming from a good place, even if it's not entirely correct. They're doing it because of a genuine concern. Um, and they have made the connection that this is connected to something spiritual. And we, we criticize them for that. Maybe they were making an incorrect spiritual connection, you know, but they were concerned about him spiritually as well as physically. Uh, and I think that is notable. Um, this gives us a good example of so many people won't go to see someone when they're hurting because they don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. This shows you don't have to say anything. Mm -hmm. Just presence. Yep. Yep. Just presence is... is I think at least an emotional comfort. And that, that's one of the things that he needs right now, most of all, is emotional comfort. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it's possible that over time, as, as he seems to resist them, they become obstinate and maybe their motives aren't quite as good. That's possible. That happens in time. Uh, but I think it's easy for us to observe a statement or a, a series of, of conversations and make a judgment about people. When, and if we look at all the data in, in this exchange, we yeah, it's just a general good behavior to try to believe the best in people first. 
Um, that's not our tendency. So, so we have this habit. We like to fill in the blanks. And we, we, there's a lot of blanks in this, in this book that we don't have access to. Um, and we like ex- explanations about everything. Why do they do this? Why do they? And, and, um, uh, so they have those same blanks. They, they're, they're dealing with less information than we have because we have at least some explanation of what's gone on before this. They don't have that. Um, they like they want explanations, and so they're doing their best with what they have and what they they've assumed. Good things happen to good people. <laughs> um, they're trying to fill in the blanks, and so they're they're dealing with the same tendency that we have looking at them, which is maybe not believing the best in other people. So, so I want to uh, get into uh, the first round, and, and this is interesting, the cycles that Job runs in. Uh, we're going to see three cycles of conversations. Job will begin, and each of them in turn, uh, in this order, will answer, I think, except for the third one, I think so far doesn't, doesn't answer. Um, I think it's just the first two that answer. Uh, and then, then we'll see Elihu come in uh, and conclude the book. So, so Job's opening. We're going to look at Job's opening. We're going to read all of chapter 3. We're not going to go through this line by line. Uh, the, uh, we'll be here for like two years. There's, there's a lot in here. So uh, we're just going to um, I'll read uh, just for the sake of anybody who's uh, watching at home. And the microphone doesn't pick up people. We typically kind of go around, but the microphone won't pick it up. So. It says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish and uh, the night that it was said a boy is born. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it and may no light shine upon it. My darkness and deep shadow claim it once more. And may a cloud settle over it. My, uh, may blackness overwhelm its light. That night may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. That it, may that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those uh, who curse the night curse that day, who's, uh, those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. Um, Oh, excuse me, I, I misread that. May those who curse the day curse uh, that night. May it, its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why didn't I perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why are there, were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and counselors in the east who built for themselves places which now lie in ruins, with rulers who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. Captives enjoy their ease. They no longer hear a slave driver shout, the small... And the great are there, and the slave is freed from his master. Why is light given to those in misery, and their and life to the bitter of soul? For now those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? 
For a sign comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. And what I feared has come upon me. And what I dread has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. And I did my notes from a different version, so I'm trying to kind of remember the version as I read it. But, um, so Job's opening, I'm going to divide this in a, a couple of sections. And the, the first, there's two sections, really. Um, the first, verse 1 through 10, uh, actually three sections. Um, verse 1 through 10, he's cursing the day of his birth. All right. Um, literally, I wish I was never born. Okay. Okay. That's, uh, that's, I, I, I can see where he would be here, <laughs> you know, having, having all this happen to him. Uh, we talked about the impact of suffering on our thoughts and how you can go pretty south pretty quick. Um, this is the point at which people contemplate suicide. When, when things just seem, his, his entire demeanor through here is that there is no hope. And when you lose hope, you, you lose the purpose of, of life and living. So he says, let those who curse the, uh, the day curse my birthday, essentially. All right? Curse that day. Uh, now, uh, who would curse the day? Who would curse daytime? Okay. He says, let those who curse the day. Does anybody curse the day back then? Well, let, let's, let's put that on pause. And, and let's uh, look at this reference because it's connected to this idea of Leviathan. Who's Leviathan? Oh, it is a lot of... What's that? A big beast? Anybody know what the, the Hebrews thought this was? Remember where he's at, and that's important. He's a crocodile. Right? He talks about the eyelids of the morning. Right? The, the, if you've seen a crocodile, they come up, and the only thing you can see is the, these golden green-looking eyes, right? Just kind of above the water. And they're just looking for stuff. And, and, and it was considered at that point in time like the most untamable thing. I mean, it just... Raw terror power, right? And uh, uh, it's uh, it's mentioned later in Isaiah, uh, and uh, just this this he says, "Let those who would conjure up this Leviathan." Uh, he's talking about people that that would claim to have this incredible power, power over nature. Let these people who have power over nature, people who curse the day. Uh, and I believe he's talking about uh, a group of people that were kind of outcasts in, 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 uh, in the Hebrew world, um, soothsayers and, and various things like that. There, there was a lot of, to go back and understand the superstition and the, and the supernatural and all this mysticism, is let those people who who would have power over nature, just kind of go back in time and curse the day I was born, if they could, so that I'm not here. Uh, I, w I wish there was someone. Just you, Sometimes you think weird thoughts that are not realistic. And he's like, I wish someone could go back in time that has power over nature, that could, that could build a time machine. Right? 
uh, a freeze ray or whatever the supernatural thing was and, and just make that day different. And, and that's really all it is. It's not really an uh, incredibly doctrinal thing. I didn't think he's, he's into doctrine right now. He's got bigger things on his mind. It's just the philosophical why. Um, why and we're going to get into that section he says there's uh, no joyful cry he wishes there was no joyful cry that day who's the joyful cry belong to Hmm. can you imagine how what kind of condition he's in that he's willing to take away to go back in time if he could go back in time and say I know you were happy mom at what happened, but I wish you didn't have that happiness that day. He's willing to go back in time and take away his mother's joy because of how bad he feels. This is a man in deep despair. I think in the New Testament, Paul talks about, in in some of those situations, he says, we despaired of life. And we we think of Paul as just kind of happy-go-lucky. Hey, well, I'm on a shipwreck, and we're going down. It was like, no, these people despaired of life. These people felt at the edge of, of hopelessness sometimes. Um, that, was, that was a real thing. Um, so so that, that's his opening. He then gets into all these philosophical whys. Verse 11 through 23, he asks why. Five times he asks why. Um, the first three are what? If you kind of just skim down there, they're what? Why what? Why was I born? What's the next one? Why did the knees receive me? Okay. Those are all similar because they're all why me. They're all why me questions. The last two will not be why me. They'll be more philosophical in nature. Why me? Why didn't I die when I was born? What's he asking? Yeah, why, why am I here? It's not an unnatural thing back then. Infant mortality is pretty high. He's looking at, you know, I mean, people die when they were born all the time. They didn't have great health care and uh, sanitary situations and you know, all the medical advances we have, infant mortality was incredible. Infant mortality was, was so high, even, even going back a couple hundred years ago, that, that it brought the average lifespan down to like your 30s when you averaged that in with the general populace. It was like, oh, the average lifespan was 30. No, <laughs> most adults, if you made it to adulthood, didn't live to 30. Uh, it, it's when you averaged in the sheer number of kids that didn't survive smallpox at, at four or whatever, you know, the going back. And he's like, this is a common thing. Why couldn't I have been one of those? He's looking at people who died during childbirth enviously. Um, or what's the next question? Think about this. This is even maybe more hard to, to answer. What was the next one? I heard it somewhere. No, no, that's that's the end. We're we're still in the first three. So we're looking at the second. 
Yeah, so, so uh, he talks about uh, why, why didn't the knees receive me? What's he asking? So, right, well, it's beyond why didn't I die? He's like, why did the knees receive me? Why did, the, why did, why did my mother nurse me? He's, he's actually to the point where he's wishing he could be one of the children that were thrown away. People, people abandon their kids all the time. Why couldn't I have had a, a, a set of parents that would just throw me in the ditch? And, and this is the grief that this man is in. This is not just a nice little story. He, he's actually looking at abandonment as an envious position. And then the last one. Why couldn't I have been stillborn? Anyway, well, okay, let me take this out. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's thinking, you know, that, that was, those first two weren't really nice to mom. <laughs> she, she did love me and, and think, let me back up. Maybe I could have just been born and then, you know, maybe she wouldn't have had to throw me away or, 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 you know, take away her joy or whatever. Yeah. Maybe I could have just been stillborn. That would be even better. Just to have never even seen light. Never have even. So now we get into those two philosophical why questions. Before we move on, are there there any other thoughts in, in this section? That first group of why questions. Yeah. We don't understand God's time frame because uh, we're studying Exodus and we know and God heard their suffering and he sent a deliverer as a yeah. baby. Eighty years later he delivered a baby. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those people, if they were around, they were all old. Yeah, that's true. Didn't even really think of that. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. God's God's time is different. It's, it's it, you know another uh, another one like that is in, in Jeremiah uh, where where he talks about you know I have plans to prosper you. Oh, wonderful, yeah, but not you. <laughs> that's going to come seventy years later. So it will be your your. Uh, Why is light given? That's the question. And he poses that question to, to, in, with two different, um, two different scenarios. Well, what is, first of all, what is the concept of light here or in general? Goodness. Okay. Goodness what? Hope. Hope. God, life. life. It's it surrounds everything. It's it's there for illuminating. It's there for a quality of life, not just the existence of life. And so he's like, why is light given? Hope and all of these wonderful things that we associate it. Why is it given? And then he lists. Two groups. The first group is what? Yeah, to those who are we're suffering, we're in, in misery. Have you ever known somebody? I know somebody new. Uh, she passed away. She was too healthy to die. 
she, she had uh, some form of cancer. I can't remember what kind. And she was too healthy to die. She just kept on hanging on, and she could she didn't want to live. Uh, but she had taken too good of a care of herself. That was the problem. And she's like, why? I want to go. <laughs> why won't you let me go? Why is light given to those who just would really not rather be here? Um, what, 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 why question do we usually ask? Well, okay, there's that one. We've gone through those, but just in general, why do you, I mean, you, you walk, you're, you're talking with someone who's not a Christian or whatever, and they're going to ask this. Yeah, they always want to know why the, the bad things happen to good people, and this is the opposite question. It's like, why wouldn't you let something bad happen to me, please, right now? <laughs> this is the opposite question. Why aren't you letting bad things happen to this good person? This <laughs> is like the upside-down question. He just would rather not have to. Yeah, if if there's hope, then there's a chance that you dash my hope again. Yeah, it's like uh, um, it's just a it's a it's an interesting question he asks. He says, oh, they, they rejoice when they find the grave. And he goes through all these groups. It's like, oh, he's looking at all these groups. It's like, they're, they're in peace and things like that. And I, I don't think this is necessarily talking about heaven. Um, I, I don't think he's got that kind of a view yet. I think he's just simply looking at people in the grave. They're at rest. They're in the same place as these poor slaves over here. The rich the rich and the poor, right, that's, that's mentioned. They go to the same grave. And... and um, uh, Solomon used that imagery. Um, they rejoice when they find the grave. Um, it, there is something interesting that happens. And I've, I've had numerous people talk about it, so I, I assume it's true. I've never observed it. But that um, just before people die, like there's something that lifts. There's I don't know if they just kind of, their body just says, I'm not paying attention to pain now, uh, or, or what happens, but there's just, there's like a feeling of relief, like it's like a premonition of some sort, I, I knew one lady, uh, and and she was getting old, and, and she was still able to be in her house and stuff, but um, she was passed away, she was in her bed, uh, they found her in the morning, and they found that the, they, they came in, and they found she had like three sewing projects that she had finished that that like just like little knitting things and three three pies or something like that that were on the thing that freshly baked and she went it was like okay this is the appointment I made the appointment this is it and I'll my, my final sew up my final things and done it's just like a premonition of something and and people have that they observe that even with people who don't have that same ability you know it's like you know nurses can kind of predict when it's coming they're like. Oh, they're doing this. You've got about a half an hour. You've got an hour. Whatever. You know, they know it's coming because it's just this different emotional disposition that they have, and uh, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, he says they rejoice when they find the grave, and it kind of seems like he's he's referencing that. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, 
But there is kind of a premonition of, man, I would really, I'm I'm looking forward to this now. Um, And so that's the first. To to those who are in misery, why do you give them light? Why do you give them hope? And what's the second group? Mm-hmm. Bitter of soul. Um, he goes on down and then he says, um, to those who are hedged in, why do, you, why do you give light to those who are hedged in? What is that reference? What does it mean to be hedged in? No okay, no escape. Okay, we think of hedges as a good, oh, build hedges and things like that. But he, he's not coming from it from a from a a, a, a positive viewpoint at, in his life anyway. Well, in the first chapter, they tell you have Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you protect. It's almost the same imagery, and he's not looking at it in any kind kind of a good good viewpoint to his perspective. Being hedged in is is being. You know, you've surrounded me in a bad way. I I I have no hope. We talk about no hope. And, and so, what was light for? So, no. What was what? To, uh, what did you say now? I said to illuminate your path out. To to give you hope. And you say, why do you give hope to people who have no hope? Why would you give me this light, this possibility? Hey, we have this thing. To a person who's, he feels terminal. I have, I have nothing. I have nothing. Um, I'm hedged in. Why would you, why would you give me that? And then give me the situation that's un- unworkable. I'd rather just just take me. Just don't give me any hope, like you were saying. I'd rather not give in a false illusion of some good thing. This is a dark thing. So then he concludes, um, beginning in verse 24. He says, Sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dread has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only... Turmoil. So he he is a play on words here. Um, so instead of bread and water, what does he have? Yeah, pain and groaning. Right, my bread. What I have every day. What I have every day <laughs> is not the things for basic existence. What I have every day is pain. I get up and I have pain for breakfast. I have a little, another helping for lunch and supper. And what I drink, what's poured out in abundance for me is sign. That's what I have a lot of. I mean, the, the, what an imagery. Um, and he talks about what I dread, that's what comes on me. What do you think that's a reference to? Let's go back to look at the unfolding of his events. What do you think that he had dreaded? Okay, you remember it goes through the process, the beginning of the process. And think about think about where Job was. He gets the bad news. Bad news, you're uh, 
your camels are gone. Well, I can't remember what the order was. I think the camels were stolen, actually. Um, so I think the, the first one was something was was uh, killed. I think the goats and the, the cows were killed. And I think, you know, then you, the grain was burnt up or whatever. And then then uh, then everything was the, the camels were stolen. And I, I can imagine every, it's like, okay, now, now something's going on. And I can think what he's thinking. My kid's okay. Okay, kids are okay. And with each one, are my kids okay? Okay, I can, I can deal with camels. I can get more camels. <laughs> Might not be easy to get that many, but I can get more camels. I can't, those kids. Uh, and what, he, what I dread comes upon me. Finally, that last servant comes in. It's, your kids are gone. That's what I was dreading. That, that's what I didn't want. And then, and then he gives one more statement. I have nothing to console myself with. What, what's the famous statement? Well, at least you have your health. No, I have nothing. I have nothing in, in in I have nothing to even try to cheer myself up with. I, I can't even say I have my health. <laughs> I've got nothing. Everything was taken away from me. I got nothing. That's his conclusion. There's no like positives here. <laughs> this is just his opening statement. We'll get to some positives later. You know, he's going to reflect on God's place in all of this and whether or not he draws the right conclusions. He's trying to. The one positive is we still have seen what in his character. What hasn't he done? He still hasn't blamed God for it. He's going to try to place God in it somehow the right way. He will draw wrong conclusions in doing that, but he's tr- he'll, he'll try to make excuses for God out of respect, and God will still, like, you're still way off base, but at least you didn't curse me. That's, that's good. <laughs> um, but it's notable, his character. In all of his complaining, he still hasn't blamed God. And this is where the three friends are going to jump in. You know, they've been quiet for a week. And then he comes out with this. Now they're going to like, okay, we, we, you've given us this question. You've asked us why five times. We're going to tell you why. So, any thoughts as we close? I didn't want to interrupt earlier because it's a little off topic, but the Leviathan. Yeah. Um, the, the interesting interpretation of the crocodile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're yeah we can get into that when because he mentions again um, the, the, a lot of people talk about like dragons and dinosaurs and things like that and um, I, I'm aware of those and um, uh, I'm aware of those interpretations and I will get into some of that if, if we we can pause there for a little bit when we get there because he talks about Leviathan and Behemoth a little bit later uh, and uh, um, so. Uh, were they dinosaurs or so whatnot? I, I think quickly. I think the fact that that Isaiah mentions it, um, you know, 700 years before Christ, kind of makes me doubt the existence of, of dinosaurs at that point in time. Just time-wise, it seems like we would have maybe in Job's time there was less history. You know, maybe just historians missed it, but by by 700 
BC. I think <laughs> there's, there's quite a few historians. I think someone would have mentioned it somewhere like, you know, where's Herodotus on this? Or, you know, where's, where, there's enough people, there's enough Greek people and, and, and Rome, you know, even Rome's beginning and, and Persians and all sorts of people. And no one mentions these things. So, uh, but we'll, I'll, I'll try to go through some of the, the details and, uh, and give an alternate view, kind of. And, and I think it is important that that those words were assumed by by the Jewish people to be um, references to a, a hippopotamus and a and a crocodile, which existed in that area. You know, those are things that they were familiar with. So. All right, we'll close there.